It's kind of with a heavy heart that I get up here this morning um, because of the situation. Um, David Montgomery, this is actually David's sermon. David Montgomery had been preparing preaching this whole week, and on Friday, he got a call Friday morning that his father had passed away at the age of 92. Um, he Praise the Lord, his, his father is a believer. He knows that. Um, he is rejoicing. Um, but as we all know, there is a sadness that comes when you lose, and I can't even, I cannot even begin to imagine. Um, and so, weren't sure what we were gonna do this morning, and David had just asked, hey, can you just preach my sermon off my notes? And I said, I'll do my best. Um, so this morning, guys, I just pray that you would, you would bear with me as we go through this together. Uh, we're really just gonna open up the word and continue on in our series in Colossians. This is the central focus of our, this will be the central focus verse of our whole series in Colossians. Now, have up there, everyone loves a mystery. How many people grew up reading any mystery books? Anyone? Okay. I grew up loving mysteries, and I say everybody loves a mystery because that's, I, that's how I was, um, and everyone's like me, right? Um, now, my favorite was, my favorite growing up was Sherlock Holmes. And the way this became my favorite really was because of my father. We had this great uh, family tradition that after dinner, when the, my, as we'd clear the table and we're doing dishes, my dad would sit down and he would read, us, read to us something from a book, a story. Um, but he would read us a, sh- a lot of times Sherlock Holmes novels. So the first one I can remember is one called The Speckled Band. Um, and it, is, it just it sticks in my mind. It's one of those moments in your childhood that just will never go away. Now, Sherlock Holmes is also the first novel that I ever read. And that was The, the Hound of the Baskervilles. And if any of you have read it, it was, for a little kid, it was a pretty spooky um, a book. The Hound of the Baskerville, these crazy dogs chasing people. Josh gets this on a regular basis when he's running in the county. Um, but <laughs> basically, The Hound of the Baskervilles was one of the, the fav- my favorite mysteries. And I'm always trying to figure out who done it. Now, the other series that my dad liked to read to us a lot of times was the Hardy Boys. Anybody ever read the Hardy Boys? Okay. Or Nancy Drew for some of you girls, possibly, or Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys meet every once in a while. Do you guys remember those? Okay. Those were some great stories. Um, But what was so embarrassing about my dad when he would read these stories to us is that when I had friends over... He liked to read us into the story. Instead of the Hardy Boys, he would emplace our names, which you know as a kid, like it makes you mortified when your dad does things that you think is a little bit goofy. Um, and you're like, oh my gosh, did he really just say my name in the story? But I, I love these stories. And I've always been fascinated by mysteries. When we do not know something, and it, to me, it, it drives all we do in life. Uh, these mysteries of, of what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next. And we're always trying, do you guys do this? I do it in the movie theater. I've tried to make predictions if I'm at a mystery and I go, okay, I think it's this person. And, and you know, I'm always trying to guess and I like to think I'm pretty good at it, but I'd say maybe one out of four, I get close to being right. But mysteries are just things that, that fascinate us for some reason. And today as we get into this scripture, we're going to see a scripture of really uh, the truth about a mystery that was revealed in Christ that had been hidden for all time until he came and lived and died and rose again. So as I get into this scripture, we're gonna be talking about a mystery that is so much better, that was so much better hidden, that no one saw coming, okay? And a mystery that is the the key, when, when that mystery is revealed, is the key to what it means for us to be Christians, for us to live out our Christian life. 
And so if you guys will stand with me and open your Bibles to Colossians 1, 24, we're going to be reading through this scripture together. Colossians, beginning in chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, and continuing on through chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servants by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery, there it is, that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing him, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, all, in whom are hidden all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we're continuing on in our series of Colossians. We took a break last week. And up to this point in, verse, in chapter one, we, we, when I last spoke, which is verses 15 through 24, we had really had Paul taken us to a mountaintop experience. He had been describing who Christ is. He's the image of the invisible God. He's going through this list, this mountaintop which stands as, as the peak of all that God is. He is um, over in the head of creation. He created all things before all things. All things hold together in him. In him, the fullness of God dwells. He is just at the peak of all life. He's saying, this is who Christ is. And that teaching, that idea that Paul had brought us to is the foundational point of what we believe as Christians. But as he continues on today, he moves past that one point and brings us to, to the next step. The truth of the matter is we could remain thinking about the character of Christ in those verses for a year. We could probably pick apart what does it mean to be the image? What does it mean? But there's something more that Paul wanted us to get. He brings us to a next mountain pop, mountaintop of the Christian life today. First of all, he has, this is who Christ is. That is the first mountaintop. The second mountaintop that he wanted us to bring to is something that we have not understood, something that has been hidden from the beginning of time through all ages past, which has now been revealed to the church. I always think about this a lot of times when I think about Satan just did not realize what was happening. He thought he won the victory when he put Christ on the cross. He did not realize that it was in his death that there was some mystery would be revealed. 
And that is the verse, that's where we get to verse 25 and verse 20, through verse 27. And I want us to look at that carefully. This is the central verse of the message of Colossians. And it is the central verse for us as Christians to realize because if we do not get the truth, one, of who Christ is, but then who Christ is, we will be living a frustrated Christian life. So look at verse 25 with me again and reading through verse 27. It says, I have become its servant. Its servant, that is the church. So this is Paul has become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So what is the word of God in its fullness? He begins to say, it is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to you or to the saints. To them, God has chosen, that's to them is the saints. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is God's mystery revealed. This is what has been hidden for ages and ages past. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this is a very common theme in all of Paul's writings. And you need to understand, this is something he comes back to over and over again because we just don't get it. Okay, have you ever had, I mean, for me, I just don't get math. Are there anything in your life where you've, you've had it explained to you over and over again, but it, it just, you just kind of hit a wall, okay? I don't understand how Josh runs a marathon, okay? That blows me away. My mind cannot comprehend that, okay? It just doesn't work. Are there people, are there situations where you just get to a point where you just can't get? I think we all see those things in different aspects of our life. And so Paul repeats this theme. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ in you. It is Christ in you over and over again. In just the books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 John, there are 42, and that, that 1 John is not Paul, but John, there are 42 references to this concept, Christ in you, <laughs> Christ in you. The biblical writers, the early church realized this is something that we cannot get because for them, God was something totally different. The culture, and we're gonna be talking about that. One of the most famous places where we see Paul say this is in Galatians 2.20. This very clearly says it. Another book that re repeats it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in me. Christ lives in me. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. But scripture doesn't even stop there. If you understand what scripture begins to say, it also says God the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And in several different verses from John and Romans and Corinthians, it is repeated, God the Spirit lives and dwells in you. But he doesn't even stop there because we can see most of the time, you know, Christ spoke that he was gonna send a counselor and that counselor would be with you and guide you into truth. So we understand like, okay, Jesus died, then he went to heaven and then he sent the spirit, okay? And so we, we can understand that. That concept seems to be okay in our mind, but he is saying also, Christ lives in you. The spirit lives in you. Then scripture even continues to say, God, the father lives in you. He says that in John 17 most clearly when he says, I and them and you and me. He begins to talk about how the Father, God the Father also dwells in us. 
And we repeat this theme over and over and over. And I think our minds just hit that wall of, of understanding, like I do with math, like others of you do with different aspects. We get these, we just say, okay, how is that true? How can my life be lived? How can Christ dwell in me? What does that mean? What does that look Yes, I read the words, I see the words, but how does Christ dwell in me? I think where we, where we run into the difficulty is in our understanding of language. There's a certain wall we hit. When Paul is repeating this theme over and over again, I think we all think a spatial relationship a lot of times, like a certain space in us that Christ dwells. And we have a hard time conceptualizing this. But I think when we begin to look at what he says, it is a relational sense that our spirits are relational just as much as we are in the physical. That we then begin to live in this intimate, when Christ is in us, this intimate, unseparable, Un, you, you just can't break it apart, kind of relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in us. Now, one of the best illustrations that I can think of with this, and one of the scriptures I'm gonna go back to in just a moment, comes with the idea of placing tea in water, hot water if this is still warm, Okay? Hopefully this will start to change because it's not very hot. Okay, you guys all know this whole process. I just took two substances, substance that could be divided, substances that have a difficult, different chemical makeup. But as soon as I begin to put the tea bag in, you begin to see a gradual change. Now, chemically speaking, we could probably begin to break apart the chemical substance of tea and water eventually and break it back down and separate it. But when it comes down to it, can you really begin to separate this tea and this water ever again? Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the fact that when we believe, when we accept Christ as our Savior, as our living Lord, there is something about our nature that ultimately changes. And it is not us, it is totally separate from us, but as soon as we accept it, it is totally in us. Paul is trying to convince the Colossians that for all practical purposes, for all of the fact that we think of God being this outward, external being, when we accept him, he is in us from the moment we do it to the moment we die. When we accept him, we have this relationship that is so inseparable. In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians it talks about this. Um, I accidentally took the, the verse away. Yes, yeah, 617. Um, it says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, in context with this, this is, this kind of shocked me as I started to think about this. The verse right before this is talking about how when we have a intimate 
sexual relationship with a prostitute that we become one in spirit with that person. This is the kind of relational relationship that he is talking about when then he says, when you are in Christ, you are one. You are united. Your spirit is united with him in this intimate, close relationship that cannot be separated. Just the tea cannot be separated from the water. The reality becomes is we don't believe this, Right? We think we have Jesus and he is somewhere out there and I believe that he's real, but when I live my life, he kind of just is viewing it from the outside in, watching me live my life. This is what we think, at least this is what I think. Almost 95% of the time, it's like God is watching me live instead of living out from me, living through me. We have this separation and we, we, it's so clear in the way that we talk about God and the way we pray. How many times, I have prayed this so many times when I've said, God, please come to help me or God, please be with me today or God, we invite you to come and be with us. I've said that so many times as a worship leader when I'm coming into this place when God is saying, I am with you from the very beginning. I am in you. I live in you. I live through you. Your righteousness is from me, not your own good works. And so we, we have this image that says he is out there and that I'm living my life. And honestly, it's like I am living my life trying to get there. Our goal is, is kind of like he is far off. He is across a chasm. And often I say, you know, as long as I go to church, as long as I don't sin, as long as I read my Bible, as long as I do these things, I will build a bridge that will someday get me to God and it'll cross the chasm. And yet, he's saying, there is no chasm. <laughs> I am here, I am with you, I am in you. Because when we try to build that bridge, guys, that is religion. And I've just had a recent debate with someone and said, you guys realize Christianity is not a religion. <laughs> it is not man's way of trying to get to God. It is God saying, you need me and I'm gonna cross that chasm and I'm going to make the way. I am gonna come dwell with you. Christianity by nature is not a religion. It is a surrendering of our lives saying, you are here, you are God and I can do nothing. And that is Christ in me, the hope of glory. There is nothing that I have to offer. There is nothing that I have other than to accept who Christ is. God is challenging us to just put down our tools and stop trying to build a bridge to him. He is trying to reaffirm. He is trying over and over through scripture to say, I am already with you. I am in you. You just have to believe it. That is the good news of the gospel. That we don't have to keep trying over and over these useless things that don't get us anywhere. But that God is Emmanuel, God with us. He continues on and, and, and expands this thought in the beginning of, of chapter two, verses two and three. I just wanna read those quickly. It says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love 
so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One of the things I think we struggle with, like I said earlier, is that we realize in scripture that we have been given a gift that says, here is salvation, here is Christ, it is a gift. And so it's like I get this, this nice little box and I say, hey Justin, I wanna give you a gift. You can't open it, but I'm gonna give Justin a gift. Just hold on to it, treasure it, you know, look at it, put it up on your shelf, remember it on a regular basis, just be thankful for it, just admire it, adore it, all those different kind of things. And we so easily take salvation as that gift that we hold at arm's length and like, wow, it's this great this great gift. But we forget that there, when you get given that gift and in this box, there's something in it. Justin, open the box and tell me what's in it. Fold that paper out. What is it? It is a blank check from Cornerstone Community Church. Okay, <laughs> which I need to get back to you later. Uh, it is a blank check. And all the riches and treasure and mystery of God, a blank check that says this is yours. And when you get that gift, God is saying here, I am giving you not only a, a beautiful treasure box, but I am giving you the fullness of who I am, who I have always been, who I am in Christ. Justin, can I have the gift back? Thanks. I, I know, it was an illustration. Uh. <laughs> the truth is, that is the reality of what he is saying, that there is a treasure that we cannot even imagine that is in Christ, the fullness of the riches, all understanding and knowledge. And it's not that he's just given us this pretty box that is Jesus Christ that sits somewhere on a shelf for us to admire and adore and sing songs to and go back to over and over which is what I know that I sometimes view God as, is he is just a spectator in my life that is watching, and yeah, I'm trying to just be out there, and, and it's kind of like a parent sideline cheering for you, and you're trying to impress them and to do your best and all those kind of things, and he just sits on that sideline. They know when you really understand the fullness of this gospel message, it is Christ in you, and it is not just Christ in you, part of Christ, it is the fullness of all the wisdom and riches that come from knowing Christ, which is God, which is the knowing of all that the universe is, was, and ever will be. That is in you. <laughs> that is the hope of glory. And yet somehow our minds hit walls. Scripture over and over tries to say to us, Christ is our life. In your, in your bulletins today, you should have received a card. And these are some of just a few things that Scripture says about us about what it means that Christ is in our life. Christ in us is our righteousness. Christ 
in us is our redemption, our sanctification, our resurrection, our peace, our hope, our wisdom, our power. Christ in us is the way. Christ in us is the truth. Christ in us is the life. They kept up with me. Good. What we received at salvation was not just forgiveness of sins. It was much more. All of these things, all of these truths, all of these statements, we received in our fullness when we said, Christ, you are our Lord. The problem is we just can't wrap our mind around them. There's a quote that David found from a book by Watchman Nee, and I, I think it is a good quote that captures most of where we live in our lives. And so I want, I want you guys to just hear this as you are listening. You can follow along. It says, some Christians are seeking for some spiritual methods. If, you, if, all, of you find, or if all you find is a way of victory, then you will be defeated again. The Lord Jesus himself is the way, the method. Every spiritual thing outside of Christ is dead. Neither formula nor method works. Only Christ is living. There must be a day when God opens our eyes to perceive that spiritual reality is in Christ. Christ is the sum of all spiritual things. Christ is, is our righteousness. He has not given us righteousness. There's the key, guys. Christ is our righteousness. He has not given us righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. He has not granted us a thing called power to make us holy. Christ is our redemption. He has not offered us a redemption. Christ is the way. He has not opened to us another way in which to walk. Christ is the truth. He has not presented some truth before us for us to understand. Christ is the life. He's not conferred on us a thing called life. Brothers and sisters, as we travel along God's course, we will discover more and more that of all God's grace, there is only one grace. Of all God's gifts, there are only one gift. That grace is Christ. That gift is also Christ. Everything we need to live a Christian life, a fulfilled, a fruitful Christian life, we already have in Christ. Everything we have and need, we already have in Christ. But I think the truth of where we find each other and where we find ourselves, and I know where I find myself, is that I don't live in that reality daily. For several different reasons. Probably the biggest, I don't believe that. <laughs> and that is the first thing I have to really look in my heart is, do I really believe every day when I wake up that I have in Christ and in my life all I need for life and godliness? That's what scripture says. Do I really believe what it says? So you gotta start there. Now, 
The next thing we have to look at is how do we even live in that reality? How does that play out in our life? And John 15 gives us the only thing that I can come back to on a regular basis of understanding when it says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Christ will abide in us if we abide in him. Now, the thing I know, as soon as I heard that word earlier this week from David, I said, no one understands what abide means <laughs> because we don't use that anymore, okay? So as we began to talk, the, the continuation of that illustration is about a branch remaining basically on the vine. And there's a picture next. There we go, good. This season always reminds me of what it means to, to abide. And as we sadly saw the tree cut down next door um, this last week, it reminded me when you cut a branch off a tree, it dies, right? There's no longer gonna be leaves that live off of it that change colors. There's no longer leaves that will come out that will be green in the spring and beautiful like they are in the fall. What it means to be abiding in Christ is that you stay connected to the root because the root system is all that gives us our life. We are only branches connected to who Christ is and is alone. How do we remain in Christ? It's like eating and sleeping and breathing that is what Christ is to be to us. Our food, is the, God is the bread of life. We are to be in scripture, yes, but if you make it a religious thing that earns away, it will be dead. But if you make it your life, it, if it is what you just live off of, I can't really separate what those things are to know who God is, to know who Christ is, to know how I'm supposed to live. Remember, I spoke a couple weeks ago saying that, guys, Christ not only showed us a perfect image of who God is, but he also showed us who we were supposed to be, living in dependence on the Father, staying connected to him. Christ in us is the hope of glory. If we are cut off from the branch, if we are cut off from the tree, we will die. Christ is our only hope. Today, I pray that you take the challenge for this week is to take and put that card in your Bible. Begin reading the truth of who Christ and what it means for Christ to be in you. Reminding yourself, take those scriptures, look them up, meditate on them. Understand that Christ is our life. He is our hope of glory. I just pray that we will come as a church to a realization that Christ dwells in us and that in him we have the fullness of the riches of the knowledge of God dwelling in us. Bow, bow with me in prayer, please.